Off the coast of Asia, just east of South Korea, lies the island nation of Japan. Japan is small, a little smaller than the state of California, but it's one of the oldest nations in the world, steeped in history and tradition, and has made many contributions to the world throughout history. One of the most notable contributions Japan has made has been ever-growing forms of entertainment. In the 14th century, Japan created a form of theater that is still practiced today. It is considered to be the oldest still-practiced form of theater. No is a form of musical theater involving singing and dancing, usually by masked actors. In the early 1600s, the Japanese love of no helped create two new types of theater, kabuki and bunraku. Kabuki is dramatic stories told through dance, while bunraku is a form of puppet theater. Both kabuki and bunraku have a flair for the dramatic, often involving elaborate sets and costumes coupled with over-the-top acting to tell a story. No, kabuki, and bunraku became hallmarks of Japanese entertainment, staples of the culture and tradition, with kabuki being especially cherished by the Japanese. In the early 1900s, with the rise of modern forms of entertainment, Japan made a name for itself following the natural evolution of no to kabuki and bunraku to a genre of film called tokusatsu. Tokusatsu is a film genre consisting of live action with stylistic storytelling and practical, creative special effects. Multiple film genres fall under the umbrella of tokusatsu, including drama, sci-fi, horror, and mystery. Following World War II, tokusatsu created its own subgenre of films, focusing on strange, fantastical creatures called kaiju. Kaiju is a word that translates to strange creature or strange beast that was actually first used in an ancient Chinese text called Classic of Mountains and Seas. In Japan, the word became associated with creatures, cryptids, and deities of Japan's nature-inspired religion, Shintoism. In the modern era, we generally consider kaiju to be giant, grotesque creatures, usually borrowing traits from real creatures and even inanimate objects to create something new. Godzilla is easily the most well-known kaiju, but they are more widespread than we tend to realize. Kaiju 
are referenced by name in the Pacific Rim movies, but also show up in Power Rangers, Cloverfield, Gundam, Ultraman, and cult favorite box office flop, Deep Rising. Other famous kaiju include Gamera, Godzilla allies and enemies like Mothra and King Ghidorah, and even King Kong. The first King Kong movie came out in 1933, and the first Godzilla movie followed 21 years later, in 1954. But Godzilla was the first major kaiju, as he belonged to the tokusatsu genre, while the American King Kong was more of a later inductee into the kaiju grouping. In the wake of World War II, Japan struggled economically, and the Japanese people struggled physically and emotionally. War is traumatic, especially when civilian casualties become involved. And after the United States dropped the nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, the nation of Japan suffered immense civilian casualties. The world had witnessed the birth of nuclear warfare, and nobody had a full understanding of the depth of damage it could cause. The physical damage to the people and the landscape was immense, and there was very little time to grieve the innumerable losses. The people of Japan worked hard to rebuild and move forward, but in 1954, another nuclear event happened at the hands of the United States. Castle Bravo, the U.S.'s codename for the largest nuclear weapon it had developed at the time, was tested at Bikini Atoll, releasing 15 megatons of energy. Nuclear fallout from the test contaminated a Japanese tuna fishing boat named Lucky Dragon 5. There were 23 men on board the boat, all of whom suffered damaging effects from the radiation, namely radiation poisoning, with one man dying. Fallout from this test also severely injured inhabitants of Eilingenay, Ranjlap, and Euteric Atolls, and caused multi-generational birth defects. This event reignited the Japanese's very warranted fears of nuclear war. In working through the fear and the pain, Godzilla was born. The original Godzilla was a giant monster of an unknown origin, but it is clear that he was already living under the ocean somewhere, lying dormant until he was awakened by the atom bombs dropped on Japan and continued nuclear testing. Later versions of Godzilla give him the origin of being created by nuclear radiation, often starting off as a lizard or monitor from an island in the South Pacific. Either way, Godzilla is a guardian of the Earth, keeping in line with the Shinto origins of Kaiju. He is generally indifferent to humans, his only purpose being to protect the planet from harm, whether that comes from humans or other Kaiju. 
This indifference leads to large amounts of destruction of man-made structures because, put simply, if something is in Godzilla's way, he's going to make sure it's not in his way for long. Godzilla's nuclear origins are further exemplified by his most well-known and powerful attack, atomic breath. This allows him to breathe radioactive energy, much like a dragon breathes fire. This weapon burns around 500,000 degrees Celsius, or around 900,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Godzilla movies range from playful romps to dark and gritty, but they're usually steeped in allegorical elements referencing the dangers of nuclear warfare and testing and man versus nature. Both the 1954 original Godzilla and a 1998 American Godzilla remake start on a Japanese fishing boat in the South Pacific with a run-in with the newly awakened Godzilla ending in the death of all crew on board the boat. The 1954 Godzilla ends with a warning that further nuclear testing could awaken something more powerful and more malevolent than Godzilla. The 2019 American Godzilla reboot starts with U.S. nuclear testing footage from the 1950s remade to show the tests were actually attempts to kill Godzilla. A main focus of this movie is the ethics behind nuclear testing. For a little over a decade, the United States government was guilty of testing nuclear weapons on and around the Marshall Islands in the South Pacific, detonating 67 nuclear weapons. Multi-generational physical damage and birth defects continue to be suffered by the Marshallese people, and while they are not specifically mentioned in the movie, the overarching theme of nuclear ethics glaringly points to the wrongs done to the people and their islands. Many Americans know very little about the Marshall Islands and the nuclear testing that occurred there, if they know of the islands at all. I live in an area of the U.S. where we have the largest population of Marshallese people outside of the Marshall Islands, around 15,000 people. And as a nurse, I've cared for many of them, and I've seen the long-standing health effects of the nuclear testing. These health effects are often coupled with poor health literacy and low socioeconomic standing, leading to further problems. Marshall Islanders have the ability to travel freely to and from the U.S., but everything comes at a price, especially when the United States government is involved. The ability to immigrate freely without citizenship or visa requirements was laid out in the Compact of Free Association in 1986 in exchange for the U.S. being able to station military bases on the islands. It's give and take, but one party in that agreement certainly has taken more than its fair share while leaving the other to suffer, like throwing a rescue float to a drowning person but not helping them get out of the water. 
I could go on about health and social disparities all day, but I'll spare you. Next up in the list of kaiju comes Gamera. Gamera, much like Godzilla, is a prehistoric creature who mutated after exposure to nuclear radiation. He looks like a giant turtle with large, tusk-like teeth. Gamera films tend to be more lighthearted than Godzilla, and he is usually actively benevolent toward humans, especially children. In fact, Gamera has the nickname, Friend of All Children, as well as being called the Guardian of the Universe. Gamera is often taken less seriously than Godzilla because most Gamera movies are geared toward children. It's not unusual for adults to ignore the importance of something if marketing indicates that it's for children. We tend to overlook the fact that this is kind of insulting to children, ignoring their ability to pick up on shades of allegory and symbolism. It also diminishes our own need to see things through a lens different from the one we use daily. Gamera is a classic example of a monster turned hero. He is huge and imposing, but in one film he is cheered on by children during a fight with another kaiju, and this support strengthens him, giving him the push he needs to win the fight and protect the world. Gamera is easily misunderstood due to his size and appearance but all he wants is to be a hero to humanity. Ironically, children tend to be far more accepting of others with differences than adults are, and sometimes it's good for us to remember childlike acceptance and not judging a book by its cover. In 2021, a movie is coming out that will pit two of the most well-known kaiju against each other. King Kong and Godzilla are going to square off in the appropriately named Godzilla vs. Kong. Like I already said, King Kong wasn't always a kaiju because he didn't belong to the tokusatsu genre, but he was kind of adopted into kaiju status, likely around the time he and Godzilla first shared the big screen in 1962's King Kong vs. Godzilla. Kong and Godzilla currently belong to legendary pictures MonsterVerse, which also includes Mothra, King Ghidorah, Skullcrawlers, Siren Jaws, and the gentle-until-messed-with Skur Buffalo. If you are somehow unfamiliar with King Kong, he is a massive gorilla-like primate who lives on a remote island and is worshipped by the indigenous people as a god of sorts. He is the last of his kind, a remnant of a soon-to-be-extinct species. He is another misunderstood monster, at least by outsiders. The islanders love Kong and make sacrifices to him in exchange for him keeping them and the island safe. In multiple Kong movies, outsiders attempt to kill him, kidnap him, 
or kidnap him and then kill him when he inevitably gets loose on the mainland. He shows exceptional intellect and emotional capacity and can problem solve, set traps, and identify friends versus enemies. The earliest King Kong movies are steeped in racism and colonialism, with the indigenous islanders being portrayed as savages who usually attempt to sacrifice a beautiful white woman to the ape. Fear not, though. White men do come along and save the woman from the clutches of the black beast. Even Skull Island, Kong's home, can be viewed as problematic, supposedly being located off the coast of Sumatra, Indonesia, in the Indian Ocean. But is home to African people or caricature-esque Asian people. Either way, the inhabitants look very little like Indonesians. Honestly, the racial and colonialist symbolism in early King Kong movies doesn't even attempt to disguise itself, and the disdain for people of color is palpable. At his root, though, Kong is a sympathetic character, and as time has gone on, he has become the hero of his stories and overcomes mustache-twirlingly evil would-be colonizers while bonding with, protecting, and even relying on human allies. Godzilla is powerful, but driven by instinct, and while he can sometimes identify when someone is not a threat, he doesn't form bonds with them. Kong, on the other hand, has visible emotion in his expressions and actions, while losing none of the strength expected from a kaiju. In 2013, a movie called Pacific Rim was released, and it brought with it a new variety of kaiju movie in the U.S., Mecha Kaiju. The premise of the movie is that an interdimensional breach has been opened under the Pacific Ocean, and enormous genetically engineered kaiju are coming through it, working to destroy humanity to make room on the planet for their evil overlords, the mysterious precursors. The kaiju are ranked on a scale similar to hurricanes based on size and destructive capacity, and they are often named. Some of the named kaiju in the movie include Trespasser, Kaisef, and Scissure. After multiple attacks on large metropolitan cities, worldwide governments come together to create large mechanized suits called Jaegers. These Jaegers create a neural bridge between two pilots, allowing them to operate the suit fluidly, making it almost a living thing all its own. These mecha kaiju serve only to protect humanity and the planet from the invading kaiju and are usually piloted by teams from the same country, many of them even related to each other. The fascinating part of the Pacific Rim movies is seeing how, across the globe, governments are able to come together to create a fleet of Jaegers to protect the planet. 
There are obvious disagreements and obstacles to overcome, but as a whole, the world realizes that in order to keep the planet safe and save lives, they must work together, sharing technology and military bases to create Jaegers and train pilots. It's a type of global cooperation that's hard to imagine ever happening in the real world. But maybe if giant interdimensional creatures come through a dimensional rift under the ocean, the world could come together to fight a global threat. By the way, there's a D-list movie similar to Pacific Rim named Atlantic Rim. It's featured in an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I've seen it, and before you go and watch it yourself, just know that that's time I can never get back. Aside from the distant connection to Shintoism, kaiju don't really fall into the categories of folklore or myth. Much like the Slender Man story, though, we're witnessing a new form of storytelling with the rise of modern technology. Kaiju stories are often rife with allegory and are living things changing and growing with time. I'm sure the writers for the early King Kong movies felt very clever with their not even veiled racism and colonialism. But today, we can learn a different lesson from the symbolism. How to do better. How to treat people better. How to be inclusive and understanding. Even though the nuclear attacks on Japan happened 75 years ago, and to date have not been repeated. The fears associated with nuclear warfare never left, with bigger and more frightening weapons being created, and tense relationships between many countries being a more present issue maybe than ever before. Maybe it's time to take a page out of the Pacific Rim playbook and come together globally finding a middle ground and working together to eliminate the global giant monsters. Issues like climate change, human trafficking and slavery, world hunger, and health crises. In case you were wondering, King Kong is currently around 100 to 150 feet tall and weighs around 1,400 tons, while Godzilla is around 350 to 375 feet tall and weighs around 164,000 tons. Rumor has it that Kong will be beefed up for the upcoming movie, making him closer in size to Godzilla. But size isn't everything. Last time Kong and Godzilla squared up, Kong was the champion. Thanks again for listening to WISE. Please consider helping me create new content by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash wisepodcast. If you have suggestions for future episodes or want to chat about previous episodes, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at awisepodcast, or you can email me at awisepodcast at gmail.com.